Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to season three of Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted. I am so excited to share this with you. The podcast has been recorded over eight weeks in front of a live audience at Arco Baleno, an inclusive queer space in the heart of Kemp Town, Brighton. I am so proud to be partnering with Arco Baleno and cannot thank Luciana, Nick and the whole team there enough for their support and generosity in the making of this season of the podcast. If you haven't been there before, please check it out. Not only do they have an incredible Maltese menu for you to explore, but they also have a range of cocktails, drinks and a regular schedule of entertainment for you to enjoy. The podcast is also being supported by their production company, Across Rainbows Productions, and Film for YouTube. So if you didn't get to come to one of the live shows, you can find these videos at your leisure on the Across Rainbows YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, give the videos a like, and leave any comments you may have. We also had several authors participate in the shows, and Kemptown Bookshop were on hand to sell signed books by the authors. You can check out this beautiful bookshop in the heart of Brighton, but make sure you take your credit card because you will not leave empty-handed. The shows feature a panel of guests where we'll be talking all things queer, and an audience Q&A too, an opportunity for everyone to get involved in the conversation. In this episode, we'll be discussing coming out and living your truth. The show features writer, activist and sex worker Chris J. Angel, author David Ledian, and creator and host of Probably True podcast, River Scott. I hope you enjoy the show. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. So, welcome everyone to Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted, episode number two, which is very, very exciting. And today we're talking about uh, coming out and living your truth. So I have some amazing guests here. Uh, but first of all, I want to give a big shout out to Tom and Nick and Arco Baleno for their incredible hospitality and uh, support with the production of the podcast. So a big round of applause for them.
and we also have the incredible Kemptown Bookshop here as well. So you all need to go and buy some books <laughs> at the interval. And we've got some amazing books over there from David and from Chris J, who was a contributor to uh, the Twenty Eight, which is uh, Twenty Eight Stories about Section Twenty Eight. Yeah, it's um, Twenty Eight Stories uh, from Queer People about Living Through Section Twenty Eight, um, edited by Kestrel Guyan, published by Reconnecting Rainbows Press amazing so yes please have a look at that as well so um how the show is going to work we've got an interview to do um be about an hour or so we'll have an interval after that um and there'll be an opportunity to get some books and uh, have those signed as well by the authors if you'd like to buy some and then we'll come back for an audience q a so please have your questions ready um and just on that note this is a really safe space so you know we as a panel want to have a really open and free conversation about the topic but also if anyone does want to ask a question um you know we'd very much welcome that but we just need to make sure we're all respectful open honest and um yeah just kind of can talk freely but it's a safe space for everyone so that's really really important first of all so my guests so pleased to introduce you all so we have author david ledian I love the applause. It's so good. <laughs> uh, podcaster of Probably True Podcast, River Scott. And activist and writer and sex worker, Chris J. Angel. And I am so excited about this conversation. It's going to be absolutely incredible. So I always start the podcast by a bit of an icebreaker because I think it's not related to coming out, but I just think it's always a good thing to ask. So if you had a song to describe your mood right now, what would your songs be? And I'm going to start with David. Um, Well, as it's Eurovision, I think it's got to be Dancing Queen by ABBA. Okay, nice. Good. Is that a good thing? Yeah. 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 That's a big Eurovision fan? Or Sorry? Big Eurovision fan? Yes, of course. Are you? Yeah. I find it really boring. Year. Do you? I do, I'm I think sorry. It's better every year. I know, I'm I'm a bad queer. It, do you know what it is? It's I just it goes on for so long. Yeah. Like last year we went and watched it down at one of the pubs here. And I think after three hours, everyone was like, Should we go out now? And I'm like, No, I'm going to bed. I'm exhausted. It was just yeah, so you have to kind of sit through all of those hours to get to the awkward voting point where you're going through the 40 countries and you have to everyone's kind of missing their cues and they're getting the numbers wrong and it's that's the entertaining part yeah. of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. yeah. Weed helps. I need help. No. Weed helps. Weed helps. <laughs> weed helps. Sorry. <laughs> I do need help, but yes, weed helps. <laughs> I liked I did I did watch a couple of years ago and I watched the one where the was it Australia that had the um like people on those like ping pong things where they were just like oh um yes yeah i know which pretty, i know which performance you mean yeah that was pretty um, gravity yes yeah. that was really really cool so i did watch it then and we did watch it last year but um i'm not i'm not overly worried if i'm honest but congratulations to everyone in eurovision i'm sure it's gonna be wonderful um scott river scott sorry hello <laughs> called you the wrong name hello river it's fine what, yeah what would your song be oh right now um I don't know. Uh, I want to say, uh, I don't want to say, like the first thing that comes to mind is Look at Me by Jerry Halliwell, but I really dislike Jerry Halliwell on all levels. Why do you dislike her? Oh, she's just, oh, just You no. can swear on this if you want to. I know, I'd, and I'm sure she's a lovely person. I just... I she's just, a bit too demure now, she, though, isn't but she's she? Gone, she's gone from iconic ginger spice to Tory spice, and that's quite a change mm. in that time. Oh, that's all right. Now I have an excuse to not like her. That's yes. even better. Excellent. So not that. Um, oh, I don't know. 
Uh, it's Raining Men, always a good one. Because I'm, I, I've not <laughs> by Jerry Halliwell. <laughs> no, the original. <laughs> but that's how I got there. Uh, but I'm, I've not been to Brighton in a while, and there's uh, even just coming here in the Uber, there was like <gasps> at the window, there were lots of ridiculously attractive people and uh, just passing by. So that'll do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, I, I mean, I've, I've only lived here like a year and a half, but I still, when I get in a cab or get on the bus or whatever, I still kind of look out and still can't quite believe I live here. Really, I love, I love the environment and. All the people and everyone around, it's just, especially when it's like fringe and there's so much going on, it's such a buzz in the city. So that's really, really nice. What about you, Chris Jane? That's a very easy question. Um, Gimme More by Britney. I, 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 I love that dirty, filthy beat on that song. That's a tune. And it's just such a like positive, uplifting, sexy banger. And I'm, yeah. I would say I'm a confidently sexy banger. So <laughs> I feel like it fits me well right now. That is a good, good song. That album actually, Blackout was Blackout's incredible. incredible. I just got the vinyl recently. It's iconic. Did you? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, so good. Not to talk about my vinyl collection on this podcast. That's not what we're here for. Do you have a big vinyl collection? Not really. I try. You try. I started collecting them and then didn't really kind of, yeah. Those are the big black CDs, yeah? Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm far too young. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have any of those. So, the conversation, we're talking about uh, coming out and living your truth. So, I thought I would start with a bit of a stat, and I thought this was really interesting. I got this today. So, Albert Kennedy Trust reports that 24% of young homeless people identify in the queer community, and 77% of those believe that coming out uh, to their parents was the main factor of this. And... I guess it's just blowed my mind, really, because it's 2023. This is still a real relevant stat. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that, really, as, as individuals, because I was just astounded by it, and it's, I find it quite sad and quite tragic, really. So what are your thoughts on that? Me. Let's start with you, Chris. Um, I would say it's not surprising. I think people would like to think that the situation of being a, a young queer person or a young trans person is a lot easier now, but the reality is there are still a lot of people who don't support us. There are a lot of families who don't understand what it is to be a young queer person. And they, a lot of people feel like they have no other choice but to be unhoused, but to live on the streets. They have no other option. So that really doesn't surprise me. Um, but it's really upsetting to hear because we shouldn't be in that place now. You know, I hate being that person that's saying, oh, it's 2023. But the reality is it's 2023 and these are things that we are still facing on the daily and that shouldn't be so. Mm. Yeah, completely. I wonder if that statistic has changed, you know, say from 10 years ago. I would imagine that it's probably the same. You know, it's not got any better, like you say, Chris. So it would be interesting to see what the statistics say from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, But, completely. you know, the reality of it is that, you know, people will end up homeless. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, River? And, yeah, and um, we've done past and present, so I was just thinking, oh, can I chuck anything in about the future? And I suppose it's... Um, the worry is that with all of the, uh, the kind of cost of living crisis and the uh, economic up fuckery that we've got going on at the moment it's just going to get worse um, mm. and there's going to be even more uh, people without housing and um, so even and like if, even if the, excuse me even even if the proportion stays the same it's going to be more queer people on the streets as well and that's very depressing it's very sad yeah. and it's not the way it should be like we live in the future we've got enough houses mm. it's just that people don't want to um, have 
people live in them because they don't they want to make money off them yeah yeah that's a shame i think home is such a safe space isn't it and it's like we all cherish like that kind of you know waking up in the morning feeling good going to bed knowing you've got a safe environment and i i I don't know i just read it today and i just thought you know this is just something that shouldn't be it's not something we should be having on the on you know on our radars really for me home is my solace it's I deal with a lot of intolerance on the street. I deal with a lot of intolerance in my real reality. So when I can't face the outside world, I will hide at home. And it's sad to think that there are many, many people who don't have that option. They don't have that ability. All they have is who they are. And that's why we have to keep having these discussions and conversations and accepting the fact that we are still in a difficult place and it's not all brightness and sunshine as much as we wish it was, as much as we wish it could be. Yeah, absolutely. We all have very different experiences with coming out and I think for me, and Christian, you and I talked about this earlier, I think that coming out isn't just a kind of a one-time thing. It's something that, you know, happens time and time and again and for different reasons as well, you know, come out when we're, different parts of our lives for different reasons maybe it's relating to sexuality gender identity um which is fluid and can change over time as well um so i'd really like to talk about your experiences of of coming out if that's okay if you're happy to share those and whether that's a one you know story or there's more than one story because i think it's really important that you know we keep that conversation going as well and people understand from other people's experiences, what it's like to come out and be essentially who you are and live your truth. So, Chris J, should we start with you? Okay, of course. Um, I will say for the record, I'm a lot older than I look that I am. <laughs> but um, I, when I came out, there was very little queer representation, but specifically very little queer black and brown representation that was something that wasn't in the press it wasn't in the media it was ignored completely the only queer representation you might potentially see was cis white muscular men that would pretty much be it you know that was the porn that was around that were that was the few people that would be on tv um unless you were a comedian like graham norton um But when I came out the first time, I was actually forced out by my family. Um, I was 14, and I had always been an artist. I loved to draw. And I had fallen in love with... Well, basically, from when I was 14, I bought my first issue of Attitude magazine, and it it was a naked issue. It had Lee from Steps on the cover. It was gorgeous, loved it. But um, (laughs) that inspired me to start drawing the male figure Mm -hmm. and one day I came home after being bullied all day at school for being queer and being brown and my dad led me upstairs and they had found all of my queer magazines so he'd found all the art and it wasn't a good it wasn't a good reception to be forced out Mm -hmm. like that I think it was 2001. Right, okay. I think it was 2001, 2002. But I'll never forget that day because at the time I'd been always saying I wanted to be a teacher. And their instant reaction was, is that because, is that... 
Is that because you want to touch kids? Because that's what a lot of the media perception was. That's what a lot of the perception of people growing up in the in England mm-hmm. was of queer people. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're going through this again right now with trans people and trans people being perceived as groomers. Just for the record, if a trans person is using a bathroom, we're using a bathroom to pee. We're not doing it for anything else. But it was very hard for me to digest and I stopped drawing. I stopped I stopped having dreams and goals and ambitions at that point in my life because I worried about what people's perception of me would be. And even then, it wasn't fully coming out because everything was hidden. But when I was 16, I came out at college and that was great. That was fine. Unfortunately, it was kind of forced out due to an accident. Um, It's funny how those things happen. Sometimes things just serendipitously happen. Mm. But when I was 18, I was forced out again by my family. And I left the home pretty much with, as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. And I never looked back. Mm-hmm. And then in 2021, I finally said, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. I'm going to finally tell people I'm trans. I'm Chris J. Angel. I'm a brown trans non-binary person. And I'm fucking proud of it. It's amazing. Yeah, good for you. It's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I can tell how emotional that is for you. You but. know, it's it's hard coming out. I can't sugarcoat coming out. It's a fucking nightmare. Mm. But the reality is the second that you do it, you're able to be the person that you are, not mm. the person that people want you to be or perceive you to be. If people have a perception of who you need to be, just remind them that if they want to be in your life, they need to be supportive of you. Mm. You do not need to be who they want you to be. Yeah, surround yourself with good people. Absolutely. Surround yourself with good people. You know, I lost a lot of people in my life, specifically when I came out as trans, mm-hmm. especially as a sex worker. The moment, the moment you tell a cisgender gay man, don't call me this and don't call me that, you lose a lot of support. You lose a lot of audience. You suddenly get a lot of abusers and people feeling that they have a right to harass you and attack you. Mm-hmm. And I deal with that on the daily. But I will never stop being me because the person I am now is the person I was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good for you. It's fantastic. Do you, I mean, reflecting back on that time at 14, you know, it's... It, just by listening to you, you can tell how traumatic it was. Do you feel that you were ready to have that conversation or was it, was it on kind of on your mind at that time or was it something that you just, you had to have it because someone made you have it? I had to have it because someone made me have it. Unfortunately, you know, being forced out isn't fun. I wasn't ready for that in my life at that stage at the minute. I didn't have the support around me. I, I didn't actually have a very close family at all anyway. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a household where my, my brother was abusive to me and he was a queer older person with a lot of mental health issues, still is. And my parents allowed that to happen despite that. So 
the last thing they needed was another queer person in the household from their from their perception. You know, their instant thing was, well, where did you get this from? Who has who has made you do this from school? Who has taught you this? And it's like nobody has taught me this. This is just who I am. I think there's so much to hold account to, like media and propaganda and that messaging. You know, because I remember when I came out, I. There was a couple of things that I was told. It was very much like, we're worried you're going to be lonely. We're worried you're going to get ill, i.e. contract HIV and AIDS. And we won't have any grandchildren. That's the thing as well. At the age that I was, at that, at that time, the majority of the, um, the media coverage of queer people, mm. specifically gay men, at that time when I was a child was all about the AIDS virus. It was all of that. In EastEnders, for example, there was those storylines and um, that was pretty much all that you had. Mm. There wasn't a lot there unless you were able to seek seek it out and I didn't have the internet at, the t- at home at the time. So, And there wasn't that much out there, I guess, to seek out because none of it was, especially with Section 28, you know, very limited to what could be out there in libraries and schools and... That kind of stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know how difficult You're it must have been for you. You know, we have to, we have to share these stories. Mm, really we important. have to, because we're not in some amazing place right now. There are people who need to hear these stories and experiences. Keep the conversation going. We need to keep sharing them. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, River? God, I've got to follow that. Um, I think the more that the um, I think what you said earlier about having to come out over and over again all the time, it's, it's an ongoing thing with most people that you meet. I mean, um, I suppose... And I'm, I'm looking in many ways because I kind of uh, pass quite easily. Uh, like, if you see me in the street, you might think I was gay, but you wouldn't know that I was non-binary because, um, you know, I'm big and tall and muscular and very handsome if you're listening to the podcast and can't see the video. Um, but... Um, yeah, and, and having to... And that actually, for me, has been the more frustrating one, has been, has been kind of uh, saying, like, um, I'm not a cis man. I look like one. But then, you know, um, what does a non-binary person look like? And um, it, it, it started off quite existential. I was kind of like, well, how does one define a man versus a woman? And, you know, and during um, the epidemic... Uh, the the pandemic, sorry, not the epidemic. Um, a lot of time to myself and just kind of like rolling all these ideas around in my head because I had no other distractions and you know how shit catches up with you. And um, yeah, kind of thinking like, well, what if I am really a woman and uh, and all that kind of thing? Not uh, being a woman, just kind of like, ooh. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of realise that neither of those things fit. And then having to kind of reconcile that with myself coming out to myself is coming out to oneself is always the uh i think it's one of the bigger ones usually because you have to kind of go oh i'm not like the others can i be okay with this what what does this mean it's really interesting you talked about non-binary coming out because again in lockdown i've i mean i've not actually come out and said i'm non-binary i've just started using different pronouns and I guess my aesthetic is changing and, and, you know, I'm more comfortable now in my own skin with having my nails done or wearing my pearls or whatever. 
But there was a long, t- a long time where there was so much shame that I carried from simple things like wanting to have my nails done or, you know, present in a certain way because of, I guess, what we're taught or the experiences we have that shape our our belief system. So what was that experience like for you? Was it something that you kind of just felt quite natural progressions throughout your life or was it just something that you kind of woke up and said, no, this is this is now fits, you know? I've always liked sparkly things. Okay. I remember like um, going to the fair when we were little and, you know, the hooker duck. I love a hooker duck. It's my favourite because <laughs> there's very little skill. It's, there we go. I'll have a prize. Thank you. Um, and uh, having to choose all the things. And I chose the biggest, most sparkliest ring on the thing. There were footballs. There was teddies. There was all sorts. And I wanted this big sparkly ring. And I remember my mum going, Are you sure, son? I was like, yes, that's what I wanted. All right. And I had it for about a week. Uh, until I wore it to school and uh, one of the girls nicked it off me because it was for girls and I wasn't supposed to wear it. And, you know, oh, yeah. and, um, and that, so, um, yeah, and, and for a long time I was kind of, I, I, I was trying to fit in, I was trying to be one of the boys and I found, especially more recently, um, uh, I was kind of exploring my, my kind of gender identity and kind of thinking, all right, well, maybe I am like a trans woman in denial and, and, I found that I never felt less feminine than when I was wearing traditionally feminine clothes. If I wore a dress, I felt like a rugby player who'd lost a bet. I never felt sexier in in a dress. And I think it was because I was trying to be the stereotypical feminine uh, thing, which, again, um, I'm I'm a big kind of barrel chested hunky, incredibly handsome uh, man, uh, man-bodied thing with an enormous penis. So it doesn't really, um, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really fit. And, and I, I remember having, like, waking up in cold sweats going, well, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like a man. And, and like, how can I be a woman when, when none of that really works either? And it took a long time for me to kind of reconcile those things and kind of be like, all right, well, I don't have to be either. <gasps> It's that's, all that's so up. liberating, isn't it? It's yeah. like making your own rules. That's the one thing that I love. It's like I don't have to conform anymore. I don't have to answer twenty one, or I've, I don't even need to come out with it. Really, I, exactly. if I just want to walk down the street and wear something I want to wear, I mean, you know, maybe for me, that maybe that's privilege. You know, at the end of the day, because it's you know not everyone is afforded that. But I don't know. There, there comes a point I think in life where you just have to stop explaining yourself and. I definitely feel like I've done that for most of my life. So what about your parents' reaction in terms of kind of coming out and... Um, well, um, when, um, when I came out uh, as gay in the first place, I was at university and I did it by text message because I'm a coward. Um, and which actually, I, um, I texted them the day that I was uh, voted president of the LGBT society at university. Oh, amazing. Because then, because my thinking was, I might be gay, but at least I'm popular. So, yes. you know... <laughs> Um, Did you put lol at the end of the message? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, my mum replied immediately saying, oh, well done, son. Uh, If you're the president, does that mean you get first pick? Which... um, Nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, they were were very okay with it uh, quite quickly, which was was lovely. Um, But I did wait until they were quite a distance away to tell them because it was just easier that way. Um, and then uh, coming out as uh, as non-binary to them, it was more of a kind of like having to explain rather than coming out and just coming out. Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. And my mum was like, and I kind of, I, I, yeah, I just, um, 
It, a lot of it was conversations that I didn't really care to have. It doesn't change who I am to them, so it's not no. a thing that I'm pushing. And uh, my mum did say to me at one point, but you are still my son, aren't you, love? And I'm like, yes, mum, I'm still your son. Yeah. You can still be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't... It's such a fear, I think it's a fear thing, isn't it? It's, and I, I wonder with parents, it's sometimes, is it fear of... I mean, you, you're, you're a parent, David, so we'll, we'll move, come on to, to you in a minute, and you can explain maybe from a parent's point of view what you think, but is it fear of the child's safety or, you know, worrying about the child and their future, or is it worrying what people will think of my child? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a, I think it can, maybe it's both sometimes in some situations. It can be a really difficult thing to navigate, Um but I think there's parents do need some sort of kind of security that not much is changing and everything's going to stay relatively the same, you know? I, th I think so. Um, maybe. I mean, maybe not, not so much for my parents because mm. um, my mum my has uh, zero fucks left to give. She is, she's, Amazing. Um, and she's, she's very, very keen to learn as much as she can from me. She's like, well, I That's taught lovely. you when you were little and now you're teaching me. That's brilliant. Uh, which is delightful. And I've, I've bought her a couple of... Um, uh, books here and there, just so that I don't have to be the one with the flowchart. She can um, she can get it from the book. So um, well, David's got some fabulous books over there on cruising, anal sex, and Excellent. wanking. So you know, <laughs> send those in the post. You know, I mean, sure. I'm well, I mean, sure she'd take them all. <laughs> they do. They do always say, as you get older, you become the parent, and the parent becomes the child. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, one of the things um, that it, that I struggle with myself is remembering to gender myself correctly. I misgender myself more than anyone else. And, and it's like other people remember and like adjust their brain for me very quickly and very easily. Yeah. I forget all the time. I'm rubbish. We talked about pronouns last week and, you know, pronouns are incredibly important. And, but for me, I've been called he, him for most of my life. So if someone does, I'm not offended by it because I'm okay with that too. But I think it's about the individual and the person. If you're okay with it, fine. If someone's not and they've asked you to change and you keep getting it wrong, there comes a point where you have to either correct yourself or and be respectful or, or not. But I think it's, you know, it's it's a moving piece, isn't it? I think we're all, we're all learning all the time. That's the thing. Yeah, and like you say, it doesn't have to matter. It, it, like some parts of it, like, and, and I think the the place that gets my back up the most is on Grinder, mm. when because it says on my profile, um, like uh, that um, I'm non-binary. Please don't call me man. And I still get people going, "Hey man, how are you?" And I'm like, "I'm fine, thanks, but I'm not a man." Yeah. And if they do it once, they get a, they get a reminder. If it happens again, they get blocked immediately. Blocked, yeah. It's like dick pics. I do not accept dick pics. And it says that on my profile too. Yeah. And if you send me, if it, and sometimes I'm like, read my profile. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I sent it anyway. I thought I'd just try it. I'm like, oh cool, yeah. Yeah. Or a spread a spread pair of arse cheeks. I mean, it's just like it's not a nice greeting, is it? Really, it's just like, hello would be nice, or how are you? How's your day been? You know, it's just sometimes it's just a bit much. What, I, I don't understand what reaction am I supposed to have? I know. To that? Yeah. Like, mm, delightful. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Anytime. David, let's move on to you. So I think we are, because I'm quite old, so I've lived through Section 28, I've lived through the AIDS epidemic, and, and you know, I, I was in my uh, um, late teens, early 20s, when HIV AIDS first came to the UK, and it was a very, very difficult time. But I think now we're at a place where we are realizing that sexuality and gender can be fluid throughout your life 
Um, for me, I've always felt like a cis man. That's who I am. Uh, and I'm gay. But 20, 40 years ago, um, I would have called myself bisexual. But I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't, so I was labelling myself incorrectly just to fit in with what other people expected me to be. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, when I was in my teens and 20s, I could never have envisaged not only not having a boyfriend, but being married to someone and having kids. Well, that was just, you know... Mm -hmm. a fantasy a, a, a total unreality that would never have happened in my lifetime so things have changed immensely mm -hmm. over these last 20 years and um, you know I think we should be really um, proud of that what's happened you know and the generation my generation not me but my generation that forced that issue uh, I didn't because I, I, I was totally traumatised by who I was and who I wasn't and where I fitted in. Um, but I fell in love with someone and that someone happened to be a, a woman. Um, and it happens time and time again. And, and in my book, um, all the guys that I've interviewed, all the gay dads that I've interviewed, all married for that reason, because they fell in love. They didn't marry because they wanted to hide their sexuality or, uh, or they were ashamed of it. It was just that this person that they met, they fell in love with. So we fall in love with different people all the time, you know. We all have relationships here. We've just met for the first time. I've met Chris a couple of times. Chris J. Chris J. Sorry. Um, a couple of times. So we, have a, we build relationships all the time. Um, so, yeah, I married uh, a woman and uh, we had kids quite a while after we got married. So it wasn't that I wanted to get married to have children, which is another um, accusation, if you like, that people uh, put to us, that, oh, you must, you must have married because you wanted children, you wanted to hide, or you must be bisexual then. Well, I don't know. I can have sex with a woman. Does that make me bisexual? I don't know. Um, but I couldn't find a way I mean as the years went on I mean we were married for um, 12 years before I came out but I didn't come out I what I did was I it was at the time when um, chat rooms and forums were starting to become a thing and home computers were starting to become a thing and dial-up was a thing so you could you know, dial up something. At home, yeah. Yeah, at home. <laughs> and get onto some porn site, but it was really long-winded, you know. And it's, yeah. Floppy disks and hard drives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it was all very, very slow. But So I basically, I saved some pictures of guys on the computer. And I'd also got chatting to someone in America who had a, a forum who was also a gay dad. And I thought, my God, I'm not the only one. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. So I was chatting to, to them about it. And for some reason, I, I copied and pasted and kept the text that we'd, this conversation that we'd had. And I left it on the computer and I left it where my wife could find it. So I didn't hide it very well. And I think it was my subconscious just trying to find a way to do it. To do it. Mm. Um, and I think at that time, I was probably on the verge of a breakdown 
um, because uh, my eldest son was at nursery school. I was a stay-at-home dad with another child on the way. Um, and, you know, I just could not see a way forward or a way out or a way to resolve this turmoil that I was going through. Um, so she found that and we had a conversation. But then, of course, I said, oh, no, that's, that's not me. That's, you know, that's this other part of me. It has no impact on our marriage whatsoever. So we'll just carry on as normal, shall we? <laughs> and, wow, and how long did you do that for? Well, uh, we did that for about five years. Wow. But increasingly we led separate lives. Um, you know, our sex life just stopped. Uh, and uh, my wife um, built a life outside the home, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So she was, she was the main income earner. Uh, and eventually she said that uh, she just couldn't deal with the situation anymore and she moved out. But I stayed in the family home with the kids. Mm. So, um, and brought them up. And it, and it wasn't until I came out to them that I sort of reconciled everything personally with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, you say about the really important thing is to come out to yourself. Mm. And until you do that, you can't, you can't do things like this because you, you still feel that, that shame and that... You're always hiding, aren't you? I think you're it's always all looking over your shoulder. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you think that the... You mentioned about, obviously, a couple of things there, um, but growing up in the 80s and being a teenager with the AIDS and HIV kind of epidemic, I mean, do you, do you think... And I've talked to other people on the podcast before about that time... Um, and just how awful it was to, to come out and, and to be gay, be queer, you know, was that, do you think, a barrier in terms of identity? Did you know at that point that maybe you were, but because of what was going on, it was almost like kind of yeah. stay clear? Or Yeah, I knew. And by that time, I was leading like a double life. Right. So I'd found uh, a gay disco club mm-hmm. and I'd found the toilets where you could go cruising, mm-hmm. which I was doing, you know, um, at 18, 19, mm-hmm. 20 odd. Um, but no one else knew this. So I was yeah. leading a, a secret hidden life. Mm. And then when the AIDS epi- epidemic happened, I can remember sitting in the pub having a conversation with, with my friends and they were all saying, oh, you know, it, this, could, this, this could affect me, this could affect any of us because we can pick it up from each other, we can pick it up from a toothbrush or, you know, a, a toilet seat in the... In, in the Lots public toilets or whatever. Mm. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I could get it more. Mm. You have no idea mm-hmm. um, the fear that I'm going through because every time I connect with a guy in, a, in the club or in a toilet or whatever, I'm putting myself at risk, mm-hmm. you know? And I can remember having um, unprotected sex once and thinking, well, that's it. So now for the next 10 years, I could catch AIDS. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but you know, you sort of live with that fear. Yeah, I I, I guess every person in the community at that time must have lived with that fear. I can't even imagine it. It, And you know, the adverts on telly with the falling over tombstones, you know, it just, it was really frightening, really frightening time. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't, you know, big on the scene or anything, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I was putting myself at risk, definitely. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that my brother died from AIDS, you know, some years later, and none of us had any idea. Wow. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think, actually, I listened to your podcast with Emma Goswell on the Coming Out Stories. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that on, yeah. on that podcast. Yeah. And, and, of course, that pushed me back into the closet even further right. because I thought, well, that's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it took me years and years even to mention it to anybody mm. or to mention his name and said that this is, this is what happened to him. Yeah. Um, well, so, so many people that did have HIV and AIDS, you lied about. I mean, I spoke to Jill Nelda on, on a podcast and she said that she thought her friend had cancer for years because um, that was what he told everyone. Yeah. But actually it was only by going to the hospital and looking at the sheet at the end of the bed, she then realised that he'd actually been living with HIV and mm. people were, a, were scared and I guess they carried so much guilt and shame at that time. It must have been horrendous. Mm. Um, what, what about family now and, you know, in terms of obviously your children have are now grown up i'm guessing yeah and, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, i mean they're absolutely fine amazing and when i told them they were fine and it was a, a, a wonderful experience really. amazing but it was really hard yeah to do yeah you know and i had to find the right time and you know i, I took them I took them out to a film and then we went for a pizza and i thought oh, i've got to tell them i've got to tell them <laughs> but it was never quite right so it was and then i'm in the car driving them back to their mums and i'm thinking i've got to tell them now because i was going to appear on uh, Woman's Hour on the radio a Amazing. couple of months later. So, you know, I mean, the chances of them hearing it would, were pretty slim, but had it got back to them and they hadn't known, then obviously that wouldn't have been right. But, mm. And so when I drove up at the, uh, outside the house, I said, oh, there's something I've got to tell you. And then, of course, you've got to tell them something. Mm. So then I just said, oh, you know, the reason mum and, mum and I got split up was because I'm gay. Wow. 
And they were like, my eldest son said, oh, well, I did think, you know, what if you were? So, <laughs> but, and my younger son, he had no idea, no idea at all. But they're really, they're really supportive. And, you know, they've been along to a couple of the Rainbow Dad events and Amazing. Queer Britain and, and various things. So That's they're incredible. really on, yeah, they're really on, on board. Um, but, you know, with my brother, you know, when his, his skin was really bad and his teeth were falling out and, you know, uh, and he worked at um, the dockyard down in Portsmouth and we just assumed that it was the chemicals that he was working with mm. that was having this effect on him because mm-hmm. he was a painter. Not that he'd got any oh, terrible disease, but it's, yeah. So it was really, really tough. And for me, especially, I think, to deal with that. A lot to deal with as a family, I guess. Just all of it. It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've, obviously, I want to talk about your, your book, um, which I've, I've read. And, you know, the stories in there are incredible. Um, how cathartic was it for you to write Gay Dad and, you know, to have those interviews and have those discussions? Because I guess it's, you've got your own experiences, but you've talked about the sense of community and talking on the chat room and, you know, knowing there are other people out there you know, having those conversations. Yeah. So what was that like for you to write the book? And Well, I, th- I think at that point when I started writing it, it was, it was um, probably about the time that my wife found out that, mm-hmm. you know, I was oh, wow. gay. Um, and I was just desperate to find some material that would mm-hmm. help me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll write my story. Be the creator, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, writing is a very cathartic medium. You, you get everything out onto the page. Mm. So I think writing that book and, and, and connecting with other gay dads with similar stories, but not similar, mm-hmm. um, was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and had I not had that, I think, you know, I would have, something would have happened, definitely, mm. definitely. Kind of saving, really. It was, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, and it opened up a whole new world to yeah. me. You know, but you have a number of books over there. I mean, it's. I thought you had one or two. You've yeah, well, you, you, yeah. <laughs> when I, I wrote, I wrote Gay Dad, and then I, and I was coming across all sorts of stuff that I didn't know, and I'm thinking, well, why don't I know this about culture and and um, you know the story of gays throughout history? And I just didn't know these things, and because it's all hidden, mm-hmm. and Section Twenty Eight did that. It just pushed it all under the carpet. I mean, that's a great thing now. We have so many books out there, so much literature, TV shows, movies. I mean, I think the conversation is, you know, podcasts. <laughs> but the conversation is kind of evolving, isn't it? And that's the great thing. So thank you so much for sharing your stories. That's um, really lovely to, to hear. Um, one thing I am really interested to talk about, though, is around the kind of common themes that we hear when we do come out. Because we were having a conversation earlier, David, about coming out and actually how we think, right, well, we've got our freedom now. This is who we are. Now let's go and live our lives. But then you kind of think, well, what now? How do I become this person that I, I've affirmed I am? And, and then for me personally, lots of expectations from other people, comments of who I should or shouldn't be, that kind of thing. So, River, what were your experiences when you came out? Um, if you had any like that. Oh, I think um, I, I came out... Um, I, I, I did a similar kind of thing. I came out as bi because it was easier and because, um, yeah, I was different but not different enough. I could still be, like, one of the, one of the boys. Um, and I've never been one of the boys. Um, but it was, 
it was interesting because it was around the time that um, Queer as Folk was on TV, like two, uh, yeah, 2000, 1999, 2000. I was, I was what, years old at the time. Um, and um, yeah, that was the first kind of affirming, kind of positive, um, like gay portrayal that wasn't, you know, uh, Julian Clary or Christopher Biggins or uh, someone like that. Um, in any kind of uh, thing. And I forgot where I was going with this. Um, but yeah, and, and so, but then the frustrating thing was even when I came out and I was like, all right, wow, this this amazing, uh, you know, gay culture to explore and be part of, it was all about being um, uh, skinny and blonde and uh, like having bright white teeth, very, very kind of like cheekbones and, and teeth and all that. And... <laughs> well, I have cheekbones and teeth. They're not. <laughs> um, it, it, I didn't. I didn't have the 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 six pack, and and uh, I was never twinky. I was I was uh, quite a big lad when I was younger, and um, yeah, the the um, the bitchy uh, skinny twinks who were all dealing with their own shit at the time. We all had our own trouble. There was no real feeling of kind of community and connection then I think it wasn't something that we'd learnt that we needed yet, if you know what I mean. It, I think it was, we're still learning that as yeah, well. Yeah, and I think like we're doing a lot better at it now than we did then. And it was, and, and I think all of the, um, the homophobia and, the, and the, the fear and the, uh, the shame and stuff that we all were carrying, we were pointing at each other and, and, and tearing others down to make ourselves feel good kind of thing. And I was fairly, a fairly easy target because I was loud and um, big, and yeah, and so I and and that that took a lot. That was a uh, that did some damage. Um, like not being a skinny twink and wanting to be a skinny twink, and, and so where do I fit? Who yeah, who am I? Who am exactly. I supposed to be? Yeah, and and um, yeah, that was that was um, painful. But um, you know, I got there eventually, and mm. then. I kind of realised that um, I don't need to be. I don't need to be a skinny twink. I can be um, as big as I want and as fabulous as I want. <laughs> and um, but yeah, when when you're looking for um, when when you're moving from uh, a kind of a straight world that you don't fit into, and you're like, okay, cool. Well, maybe in that case, then maybe this this uh, the LGBT community is 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 for me. And then it turns out that they're just as kind of hostile but for different and yeah. uh, reasons and yeah still feeling like you didn't belong great fun um but as you say everyone's got their own stuff yeah trauma everyone's living through something and, it's just, and that, yeah. that kind of helped knowing that it wasn't me i mean it still hurt but it, there was it i i it um yeah it, it took some of the power out of it knowing that it wasn't me that they were being um, bitchy towards it was their own yeah. damage. What about people outside? Sorry, Christian. No, I was just going to say, I don't think you can underestimate the amount, the fact that when you go into a different community like the, the LGBTQ community, a lot of the issues people have are stemming from the outside heteronormative community and their assumptions on us. Mm. They only might only see a gay man as one specific looking person or a queer woman as one specific looking person and a lot of them may not even know what a non-binary person is mm. and 
we're all just trying to unpack that, you know, and we're fortunate now that we're all learning and the language is changing Mm -hmm. and things are moving. And it's not about saying don't label us. It's saying allow us to label ourselves and figure out what that label is. And maybe that label will change in five years. But for now, this is who we are. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and you know, if I think when I came out when I was 19, I'm, I don't recognise that person. Like, I'm such a different person. Thank God, you know, 20s are tough. But, you know, I don't recognise that. But for me, I, I think I didn't really have, where I lived, there wasn't really a community. So I, was, I wasn't in the queer community um, in my hometown. I had a couple of friends who uh, were gay, but they were dealing with their own trauma. So... But at 19, I was very, very influenced. So it was like, you know, to fit in, you should be X, Y, and Z. So I was like, well, okay, that's what I need to do. And thank goodness I found my own kind of path. Um, but I, I think the worst for me was, you know, people outside of the community. It was people, work colleagues, you know, the comments in the office that people felt they could just say because it would be funny or you become almost like a caricature of the, of the person or the the diversity in the corner of the office you know it's just it's it's really awful and you know did you have any experiences like that from outside of the community that that you had to kind of deal with not i mean no big ones but there was always that like you say just that kind of like background hum of just i think the most obvious version of that would have been uh, i worked in a bar when i was at university just to like uh make a little bit of money and um, you know how they kind of put the names in the till so it's like today you were served by and they would always change mine to princess um which i actually quite liked uh you know i could i could be a princess um and with permission pardon with permission i mean yeah right. like it, it they did it they did it without me knowing mm. and then when i found out it, it there was a couple of days when i was like all right that's that that hurts and then i was like, actually no you know what I can be a princess. I'll, I, I can. I can own that. And yeah, like that. And it. I actually had to ask them to change it back to princess because when it wasn't funny, they stopped doing it. Um, and uh, no, no, I like princess. Leave it. Leave it as princess. Thank you. Um, and yeah. So. Um, but that. But it's. It's. That's the most overt one that I can think of off the top of my head that that wasn't. Uh, it's like just like bitchiness about uh, mm. like my size or whatever from the from the other uh, gays. It was always just the kind of really small things that one in isolation is nothing, but when it's all the time and they're yeah. always there, it just it does weigh you down. Yeah. Um. And I don't. And I think a lot of uh, the the confidence that comes now from kind of just going. Mm-mm. That takes some. That takes some doing, and um, yeah, and like there was um, oh, working in. I used to work in advertising. I still do sometimes when I can be bothered, but not much. Um, and uh, someone uh, used the F slur. They they dropped the F bomb. Not about me, but just about um, something that was a bit camp or flamboyant or something. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of say, in fr- I had to stand up and kind of say in front of the office, "You don't use that word." And they were like, oh, it's not at you. I'm like, I don't mind. I don't care who it's about. You don't use that word. I'm not listening and it to was it. a real thing. And I and it, I could feel the shaky ground I was on, mm-hmm. even making that point. Mm-hmm. And I was half expecting a call, like uh, a, 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 a little chat with HR, mm. which didn't come. And 
I think they kind of got the message that because it, it they did as far as I know they they didn't use it in earshot of me again, mm-hmm. but it wasn't ever. It didn't feel like I was reclaiming power or something. It was like I was having to teach irritating children who don't know any better. And that's not your responsibility. It's. I mean, I, I think courage to you, and I think you know I've been in those situations, and I feel as I'm getting older, I can't hold my tongue anymore. Like <laughs> I'm just. If someone says something which is offensive now, I'm like, I'm not going to stand here and be, you know, a bystander or be be someone that's going to be kind of um, passive in this situation. So, I think I'm I'm definitely becoming more vocal to the point where sometimes I can't shut up. But it was a really difficult thing to do when I was younger. I would, you know, I didn't have that confidence and always felt that I was making a fuss or, you know, what would people think if I say something and. No one should feel like that, should they? You know, that's that's not okay. But that's why we do it now, because we wasted so much time before and we're not doing with that bullshit anymore. It's not about... Actually, it's not even about wasting time if we didn't have the confidence before to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not cool with that. Maybe we felt like we didn't have the confidence, the platform, the ability, whatever. Now, if somebody's going to say something about me that I'm not comfortable with, as this trans, trans brown on binary bitch, no, I'm going to say... Exactly what I feel, because at the end of the day, if they're not going to take the time out to respect who I am, then I'm not going to respect them. Yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely. David, you were going to say something? Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten now. Uh, but I did have a, a, an occasion, a similar occasion at work, where we were on a Zoom meeting. There was about 40 people on it. And there was various managers and senior people on it as well. And at the end of the meeting, it was a once a week thing, and we had a little quiz. And one of the questions in the quiz that this, this person asked was about Will Young and his latest single. Uh, what was it called? I can't remember now. Um, no, no, no. It was, whatever it was. Um, anyway, and, and this person made a comment. And there was a... You know, everyone sort of, and it was like, and I thought, you can't say that. You can't. And there's so many people here, and there's managers and senior people here, but nobody pulled him up on it. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to have to say something. And I think this is what I was going to say. Once you once you've come out, once you've done that thing, you do feel politicised and uh, able to be a bit activist and able to say these things and able to stand up because you now you've got nothing to lose. You, you've got no, nothing to hide, you know. Uh, and although I'm not completely out at work, you know, a lot of people obviously now know my sexuality and who I am. Um, but, I, I, you know, I did report this person and um, they had to apologise the next week at the next weekly meeting and um, yeah they got into quite a lot of trouble that's good so and yeah the, the company were really supportive so that's power good. of allyship and people yeah, actually yeah. doing what's that's right. how progress is made yeah absolutely I've actually remembered another little story if you want one yeah please uh, do um, and it was it was a similar kind of, this was back when I was um, in sick form so I was, I was bi this is when I'd come out of bi, as bi and all the kind of like 12 year olds in year seven or whatever they are, were like they thought it was if they saw me in the corridor, like, oh you puff or whatever. And um, I was a bit, uh, I was having my goth phase at the time, so there was like I dyed my hair black and, and like uh, all that kind of thing. Not much more than that because I couldn't be asked, but um, there was there was a little bit of gothicness, and I mean I still wear a lot of black. So um, anyway, 
and um and i remember like it it's only a weapon if you let it be a weapon and that was a, so one of the things i learned very early on was like, oh you're puff and i'm like yeah i am and i really fancy you. i want to snog you right on the ass and they'd run off and you'd not see them again and as soon as you took the power away and you actually turned it around and just went yeah come on then um it they'd leg it and yeah it's it's yeah it's only a, uh, the power's only there if you let the power be there and you can be you can challenge and yeah. and not lose your credibility you can you can still be polite and say that's not okay please don't do it again you don't need to be an asshole to someone back it's fun, though. it is fun it can be especially if someone's <laughs> if someone's really awful but it but, yeah, yeah but it's i remember at school like i would have those kind of comments and i would just like hide so then they did it more because it got to me but I think what you're saying is actually, yeah, right, so what, what if, you know, what, what have you got to say about it? I think that's a really kind of strong thing to do, really, isn't it? Yeah. I do have to say, I, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say recently, um, so I deal with a lot of people making comments to me in the street. Um, and because and, and I'm just going to come on to this next question, actually, and if you're comfortable talking about this as well, because obviously we've been communicating on Twitter and Instagram and everything. Grinder, all the <laughs> Yeah. But you've, you have been the victim of a lot of hate crime and abuse. And so, please, you know, if you're comfortable to share. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to let people like that um, hold any power over me. Mm. Um, but I do, I do deal with it on a daily. I do, if I leave my home where I live, um, there, you know, there are very ignorant people around that might see someone that they perceive to be a man wearing a leopard print fur coat and heels and say something. But the reality is that does affect me and it sucks because it's where I live, you know? And I don't think we can ignore the fact that there are many people who want to come out and strive to come out, but maybe don't have any experience of queer people or trans people around them outside of the internet no, nothing and recently i did have somebody um start um yelling abuse at me from their work van and i wouldn't normally do this but i maybe went a little bit karen and I went on Twitter and just tagged their company and said, just so you know, somebody from your work just yelled, yelled abuse at me. And I didn't actually expect any response. I, the next day I got a DM from them and I gave some further information of the location, the time, and I never heard anything. And then suddenly a month later, I got another message saying that somebody from the company wanted to contact me personally. And I got, had a phone call with somebody that worked there whose partner is trans and it affected them majorly, the story and the experience. And they wanted so much to just find who this person was and make that change. And she actually started crying on the phone as we talked about this experience and I talked about what I do, the fact that I am a vocal person, I do go to protests, I do do this stuff regularly because this is my existence. And it ended with that person being located and they no longer work for the company. 
Yay. <laughs> Round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> and it's strange because the second I got that message, I actually felt this little bit of guilt that I, that I had had a part in somebody losing a job. And then within a second, I went, no, why am I feeling guilty? They took their time out of their day to yell something to somebody that they did not need to do. And this is the recourse of those actions. So yeah, I'm not going to feel guilty about that. And you shouldn't. And I think, again, it's... I think we... We all feel that, don't we? It's like we talked about saying something. If someone says something that you don't agree with or that is fundamentally wrong, you think, oh, I don't want to make a fuss. But that's, you know, as you say, it's your home. It's that place where you live. The surrounding areas are so important. You shouldn't have to face it on the street. I was literally walking back from the supermarket, like a road away, and that made me not leave for two days because I just thought... I just wasn't strong enough to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Thank you for sharing that. And I know it's it's really, really tough for you. And But I think it's really important that we keep talking about this stuff because there will be so many people that are going through similar things and it has to stop. It's just, yeah. it's not acceptable. The reality of coming out and living boldly as you are is that everything isn't always going to be sugar and sunshine. Mm. But you just have to hope that the positive outweighs the negative. Absolutely. And for me, it outweighs the negative. Can we have a round of applause for Chris J, please? River, you have a sexy podcast. I still have a few you, sexy podcast. You still have a sexy still podcast, there, yeah. yes. So your podcast is probably true, stories of queer life and even queerer sex. Yeah, it's all actually true, but my mum listens. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, do you turn it down at all? Yeah, so or? I have to call it probably true, just so I can <laughs> pretend that I made some of the filthier bits up, yeah. But how liberating has it been for you to make queer art in that form? And obviously we've talked about David's book, and you're an activist, and you've contributed towards the book, and, you know, but for your art, what... What has that done for you and for your queer existence and how you how you see yourself? It was actually... Um, the, the reason I started it was... Um, it was going to be a book. Um, but then I realised that... Well, I was... Because the reason I was doing it was because I wanted to be for other people the person that I wish had been there for me. Um, yeah, that sentence makes sense, doesn't it? I, I said yeah, that it right. does, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Sometimes I get my words wrong. Um, and, um, and then I realised that the people who needed that kind of thing wouldn't really be reading books because they were young and... Um, no one reads books anymore. <laughs> um, um, which is... Surprised. Yeah, no, and I think also there was a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to, read, to write a book and I'm not that disciplined. Uh, I have a... Um, very spicy brain it gets very easily distracted um so then i was going to do a, a youtube channel um but turns out editing video is really hard and um i'm not really a visible thinker and i tried it and i and um i get quite fraggly there's a lot of flailing and a lot of kind of bouncing around and it doesn't really work and so i was like i was complaining and saying i was going to chuck the whole thing in the bin and one of my friends was like well you've got the scripts um just and you don't need that much equipment or that much it's much easier to edit audio why don't you just do them as a podcast and if it does well and and yeah so i was like okay well let's try that and then I call, and I kind of called it probably true for that joke that you know my mum listens and I want to be able to like pretend it's that I made some of it up when really I should have put more attention to it and called it something with gay or queer in the name so that it was searchable. Um, but um, never fucking mind. Here we are. Um, and and yeah, it, it it just it did good. 
which <laughs> is the weird thing. And I um, and not to. Uh, it's won awards, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. That's where I was going with that. Good segue. <laughs> not to toot my own horn. If I could do that, I'd never leave the house. Um, uh, but yeah, like I when I when I won my first award, which was uh, best entertainment podcast at the British Podcast Awards, not twenty. Uh, 17. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Um, uh, afterwards, someone came up and said, oh yeah, I really love your show. Like, where, uh, where do you record and stuff? I'm like, oh, I just, I've got a microphone. I do it on my bed with my duvet over my head. And they just kind of went, oh, and walked away. And I was like, but I won an award. <laughs> I'm still good. And um, yes, and, and it's kind of, uh, yeah, evolved from there. Like it was going to be a book, then it was going to be a, a YouTube channel. Now it's a podcast. Maybe I'll do YouTube in the future because I can't. I tried to do TikTok. Well. I tried to do TikTok and I kept getting um, booted because it's too filthy. Um, yeah. And uh, I know there's ways around that now and you can like use um pretend words and like euphemisms and things like that which is fun and i do there's a lot of episodes where i um rather than just using straight up sex words it's more fun to say that you were uh you know playing the pink clarinet or um you know um the skin flute yeah uh having to play with his hairy bagpipes or whatever it's all it's all um musical instruments today um but that kind of thing uh and yeah and it's and i find it really fun and one of the things that i love about it is that because it's um stories that I'm telling, I'm being introspective. And so there's a lot of work that I'm doing on myself and in the way that I think, and I'm interrogating the things that I think and the, the ways that I'm responding to things, not only so I can like say something about it on the podcast every week, but also like it's helping me think about these things and like become a better person. It's almost like a, like a journal, but through podcast. It's kind of like your own reflection, I guess. It's cheaper than therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> completely. It really is. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so and uh, I did that for two or three years, and it was doing really well. And then I kind of decided to open it up and let other people have their voices on it. Um, so that Because there's a lot of stories that I can't or I shouldn't tell that are still very valid stories and should be out there. So, uh, yeah, now we have... Um, yeah, and now I have all sorts of people on there. Congratulations, that's incredible. So exciting. Yeah, I'll be on there very all, soon. They're all very short and full of knob jokes and utterly filthy, so please go and download it. Probably true, available wherever you get Queer I Am and every other podcast you yeah. listen to. I don't know if I'm that filthy to appear, but we'll, we'll have a go. It doesn't need we'll make to be it filthy. I do the filthy ones because it makes me giggle. I'm a child and knob jokes make me laugh. But um, it's just about, it's about queer life. Anything queer is welcome and the thing that i love the most is when i get people messaging me and going oh my god you're the only person i've heard talk about that and or or i thought i was so strange and i'm like no just people don't talk about it and we should so yeah and that's what i do it's amazing i get that as well with like because i because i very proudly talk about kink and stuff in my work like if you, you need to be that that person that you want to see you know exactly yeah and um this is why i had to open it up because i'm not that kinky i can't be asked i cannot be bothered um and so i and you're either born with na- naturally kinky or you're not you know you can't you can't fake that <laughs> no my kink is being in bed and asleep by half past 10 that is how i want to be and if i have to put on like a full body gimp suit or something to have sex then it's a lot I'll just have a wank, you know, just be quicker. Yeah, a cup of tea and a wank. <laughs> Golden girls and in bed for ten. Perfect. But, Amazing. Um, yeah. So, um, so probably true podcast available true. on all good streaming platforms and some of the really dodgy ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're almost at time for an interval. Um, so before we do that, uh, Chris J has a couple of poems. 
that have you got them with you? Um, yeah, sure. Sorry, that's all right. Uh, and you can edit me out being a clumsy bit. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> and then we'll come back for an audience Q and A, and then we'll wrap up the show. Do you want to? Whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, this is your moment. Just frame make sure it's okay. Right, so, um, I'm currently working on a book of poetry and essays about my experiences as a brown trans non-binary person in the UK. And I'm incredibly proud of what I'm working on, but um, I just want to share a couple of those pieces tonight. Um, the first piece is called Transplant, and it's the title of the book. And I may need to read from my phone, so sorry. <laughs> If I could have peeled the skin from my body and erased their first glance, I would have. Just to be safe in my existence. I wanted to blend into the monotony, fall into anonymity, rather than stand loud like a pink flamingo, easily seen boldly in the distance. Wanting to disappear into the ether as they'd scream and yell and smirk and holler and follow it up with bad monkey impersonations. And as people would say, ignore it. It's easier said than done when you're not the one that it's happening to. I promise I wouldn't say that to you. I felt like a transplant from the day I was born in a family who didn't understand what loving was in a country that didn't want us to exist here but I was here. Pick it up, pull it down, cut it up in a straight line now, improve your cursive, write directly. We don't use that word here, so sit correctly. No, not like that, maybe where you're from, but you're not there now, so move it along. Follow me, forget intuition, impersonate this paper dolls in repetition. You have a culture that must be nice, be grateful you're here now, pay the price. Smile along as you take the hit. Your type don't feel pain, so get a grip. I've seen all about you lot taking our jobs, so the slobs can remain the slobs i'd bleach that skin if you want to belong because my dad said you should go back where you're from i felt like a transplant from the day i was born a brown stain in a bleached lane expected to show remorse surrounded by people that didn't want me to exist here but i was here now as i reflect and my bones grow tired I feel pride in the strength I acquired. And after fading, I now stand bold. I raise my color and I break their mold. I wasn't meant to belong. I was meant to stand out. I was meant for better than this world has dished out. And no, I often walk alone. I walk with an army of my ancestry. You see, you can no longer break me. I felt like a transplant from the day I was born. Broken, battered, family scattered, I chose to regrow, be reborn in a world that doesn't want me to exist here. But I'm still here. Thank you. <laughs>
always feel so anxious because I know it's probably very negative, some of it, but there is joy and positivity in what I write. It's coming from a place of love and growth and strength. So this is a piece called Brown. This is the last piece I'm going to read. Because when I, when I grew up and I'd say I was brown, people would always say, well, that's a disgusting word. It's a dirty word. It's like shit and trees and whatever. But it's like, no, words are what you want them to be. Wear that skin with pride, glow. It's our time to show it off. We spent too long in the dark, silenced. Now their intolerance has worn off. You heard every slur, every slight, leaving their dry, thin lips. And it ends today. We're our own trend today. There's no price tag on this tint. Wrap yourself up in that brown joy. Know their target is your right. And every time they screamed and hollered, they were intimidated by your fight. Luxuriate in your self-love. Our strength is real. It's owned by us. It's not taken by colonizer hand. So baby, be a sight to behold. Don't be grand. Be fucking grand. And when they say brown is disgusting, just remember as it leaves their mouth, we are caramel. We are honey. We're chocolate. We're brown sugar. We're everything delicious that they seek out. So stride, fly, hold that head up high, grow your hair, be bold, embrace that nose. You have every right to cultural clothes, buy black own, celebrate how you've grown, worship your body, forget Western molds, speak mother tongue, pray to what you believe. Know your culture is always with you. It's not something you achieve. Whilst they appropriate, we start, create, we rebuild, restructure, recover what they take. Shine, raise those hues, we're a palette of beauty. We choose our label, demand a seat at the table, be loud, be proud, and know that your joy is not a fable. We exist, we resist, unfortunately for them, we persist. Protest, march, make the tide shift, and baby, no that you are enough as you raise that fist. Thank you. Oh, wasn't that incredible? Thank, thank you, you so much. That was just awesome. The perfect way to finish the first half of the show. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do it. You know, I'm working on a book right now that I'm very, very, very proud of. I can't wait to read it. That was incredible. Thank you so much. Once, once more, a round of applause for Chris Jay, everyone. Okay, so we're going to have an interval. There are some wonderful books over there being sold by Kemptown Bookshop. And with so many of you here this evening, I definitely think that um, we should try and buy them all. So, <laughs> But no, we're going to have a, a quick break and then we'll come back for an audience Q&A. So thank you. The conversation doesn't stop here. Check out the next part of this podcast episode on your streaming platform. You will not be disappointed. I really hope you enjoyed the show. A big thank you once again to all my guests. Please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like, and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also, check out my website, www.fluiactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.